Have you heard the one about the bakery? Hello and welcome to Some Assembly Required, our podcast over here at Waynefleet BIC Church, where we discuss life through the lens of our Anabaptist roots. My name is Julie Adams. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by Pastor Trevor Main. Welcome, Pastor Trevor. Yeah, hi, Julie. Hi, everybody. How are you today? I am doing really well. I can't believe it's almost the end of the summer, but still good. Unbelievable. I know kids are heading back to school and things are things are changing and you know. But it's exciting, isn't it? Kind of Yeah, it is to see the the seasons go round and new new, opportunities. A new season ahead and and actually on this podcast I think we're changing gears too. We're coming to the end of one series and we'll be heading into a new one. That's right. All summer we have been talking about Jesus parables and you told me an interesting fact. How many parables did Jesus tell? Well I I think it's over 40, like 43 different stories that Jesus told and and as we've gone through this series this summer we've been asking have you heard the one about this have you heard the one about that and yeah it's they've been, been kind of interesting, interesting stories yeah. really good stories all have a similar um a similar thread through them i would say and um you talked on sunday this past sunday about um starting small yeah let's talk about we went in, we, yeah. we went to the bakery and yes. uh, uh, if you weren't able to be in the service on Sunday. Somehow I wish through this audio transmission we could smell, send the smell of mm. an of a bake, ba- bread baking coming out of the oven. Oh yeah. And that was our aim on Sunday to fill the room with the smell of baking bread. Yes. And to take us back into the into the bakery. It's very nostalgic. There's um, there's something distinct about the smell of baking bread. You can pick it out exactly. Oh, that's bread uh-huh. or that's, you know, and bread is one of those like very distinct, memorable smells yeah. that I think have a lot of nostalgia for us. And I know, Julie, you're on most, if not all of our podcasts, but I'm particularly glad you're on the podcast oh. today because you, <laughs> oh, enjoy, you. you enjoy baking. And I do enjoy baking. And I thought this one was really interesting because like a lot of people, um, several years ago when it was very trendy to have a sourdough starter, right. I started sourdough. And so I've been baking sourdough bread quite regularly over the last two, two and a half years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot about yeast and baking and um and leaven and leaven because that's what you use in sourdough it's actually sourdough is you cultivate wild yeast and help it to grow and use that in place of a dried package of yeast which we would Uh buy in the grocery store today yeah and that's so pertinent to the to the parable which jesus told this is the smallest the littlest tiniest parable that jesus told (laughs) it's just like a, a verse and a half or two verses and it refers to leaven. We often call yes. it the parable of the of leaven or the leaven, mm-hmm. or I on Sunday referred to yeast. And they're related, right? That's what yes. you're saying, yeah. Yeah, so leaven is more like wild yeast. So if you take flour, there's actually already wild yeast roaming around in it. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part is it's slightly different everywhere. Yeah. So if you were to grow a sourdough starter in your kitchen, it would be slightly different from mine, mm-hmm. which would be vastly different from somewhere like San Francisco where sourdough actually started. Mm-hmm. So your location uh, makes yeah. a difference in that too, which is also, I thought, kind of interesting. Yeah, and I found it fascinating to learn in this study of the parable of the leaven, how small yeast is or what is leavening dough Mm -hmm. uh, you can't see it with your eyes no it's such a tiny little organism but if you feed it 
it grows. grows. Yeah. yeah. Now we buy yeast and yep. I buy baker's yeast and we have some in our fridge at home and it looks like these tiny, tiny little pellets. And these yes. are what I spread around the sanctuary on Sunday, or at least on some yeah. of the front rows. I was hoping the kids, I was tr- tricking them. <laughs> I said, you know what yeast looks like while well, you're sitting on it? Because I put one on every chair before they got there. Um, but that's not really, you see those little balls that are in yep. the yeast jar, but that's not just one piece of yeast. Those are many, millions many. of yeah. cells. Uh, some say that in a teaspoon of that yeast, there would be five billion. Wow, I didn't five know billion, that. Uh, single cells of yeast. Like wow. so, they're invisible, and you can only see them when they're clumped together like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Yep. Um, so, do you want to read the verse that you shared on? I'd like to read yeah. the. I'd like to read the parable, yes. and I brought one of the tiny books that I prepared Those for Sunday, which uh, so Karis, adorable. our summer intern, prepared for all the children. <laughs> They're just about the size of your thumb, and the title of it has a little picture of a loaf of bread, and it says the one about the bakery from Luke 13 verses 20 to 21. And so I'll read the whole parable. Okay. Jesus said, "What shall I compare the kingdom of God to?" It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Mm. Short and sweet. Short and sweet to the point. Yeah. And then what can we learn from the parable? What was Jesus trying to teach? He was trying to teach about the kingdom. He says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Mm -hmm. And I think just as in Jesus' day, there was some confusion as to what Jesus was doing and what this kingdom he was introducing was all about Mm -hmm. and jesus tried to search for ways to make it meaningful to the people for them to understand and he says what can i compare it to and he pulled up a story which a lot of them could relate to because not everybody bakes bread like you do julie Uh, but a lot of the people at the time when jesus shared the story would know like a a woman or a mother or in their household that they'd put some yeast in a pile of flour and then bake with it and it would take some time uh-huh. for the um for the yeast, yeast. to to grow right it doesn't didn't happen instantly it um takes a bit of time sometimes but it did and they could yes. appreciate the difference between leavened bread and unleavened bread yes what's the difference well leavened bread has risen it's got a, a leavening agent is something that makes your baking rise and yeah. unleavened is unrisen so it's like dense Mm -hmm. and uh, flat and maybe more, I don't know, maybe more like a cracker almost Mm -hmm. or something like that. That's what I have the idea. Sometimes we think, well, for communion, we have unleavened bread or Mm -hmm. it's like a cracker, Yep. uh, something very thin and heavy uh, or like a cracker is fluffy and light, but it doesn't, it's not like a, not like bread that has risen and has air pockets, has air pockets in it created by the yeast that Mm -hmm. has, been consuming sugars and oxygen and creating yep. a carbon dioxide, something yeah. like that. But, and so we see the difference in the bakery and the people when Jesus ter- referred to the story, he said, yeah, a little bit of yeast, very small, some of like almost invisible, but it's probably mm. a piece of leaven the lady had or was working this yeast or this leaven into this dough, 60 pounds is like enough to make at least 60 loaves oh, of yeah. bread. Or it's like a lot of That is flour, a lot of flour. But put a little bit of leaven in a lot of flour and it makes a big difference. The, the whole, all of it is leavened. The influence yes. goes through the whole amount of flour. Yeah, that's so interesting how, but, um, yeah, then God relies on us yeah. to put our influence or his influence into the world. Exactly. So we need to then make the jump. What's the spiritual application, the yeah. parallel that goes with this parable? 
And I think probably the clearest is that the kingdom of God, it starts very small and mm-hmm. you kind of think, oh, there's nothing happening. And Jesus yeah. came and he was born in this little town in Bethlehem, this baby boy. And, you know, what's going to come of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people doubted that anything was going to happen. A lot of people believed when Jesus was crucified, that was the end of the story. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was just a small beginning for something that's much, been much growing and spreading and permeating the world until we get to what we see the vision of the future in the book of Revelation. when the throne of God will be surrounded by people from every tribe, nation, language. Mm -hmm. And it says there will be a multitude so great it can't be counted. And so what has started so small and apparently insignificantly ends up being so grand and glorious and huge. And the number of people that are joining God's kingdom, it's just multiplying um, with people that have already come to faith and have died and with people that are coming to faith even today. Mm, Yeah, that's really beautiful. It reminds me of, I don't know if Sherry's ever been given, or maybe you, friendship bread. I believe somewhere in the past, or my mother did when I was young, that there was pieces of bread passed on. No, so what it is, is it's like a a bag of batter. Right. And you feed it Mm -hmm. for several days, and then you divide it up. And you make your own bread with some and you pass it on to several friends. Yeah, I have heard that and seen that. I think it was maybe back when I was young, my mom had that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's very common. That's interesting that you would pass on some of the batter. And that's very, um, that reminds me of the the parable and how we should share a small bit Mm -hmm. and then it will become something bigger. And I like that application as well, because we can just get the big picture and say, yeah, God's kingdom starts small and it ends big. Mm -hmm. But then we could say, well, what is our small part to play Mm -hmm. in that? Because I'm just one little Christian in the midst of a giant world. And, you know, what what can I do? But But you've probably had instances in your life where someone has done something that probably to them felt small Mm -hmm. or maybe, you know, just something that they that they had done. but it left a big impact. Yep. So I can think a couple of years ago, um, during one of the first, no, not the first, the first Christmas that we were in COVID and I was doing some recordings and, um, Rhoda Mara came in mm-hmm. and she said to me, you're doing a good job and your grandmother would be so proud of the good work you're doing here. And I thought, oh, I, I cried after that it was really touching mm-hmm. to me to, you know, it was just such a beautiful thing that she said. It was so encouraging. And I thought to her, it was probably maybe just a few words or something nice to say. And she was being, she was being sweet, but I still remember that years later. And I probably always will just that, that bit of encouragement. And, you know, Christmas can be a busy and a a bit of a stressful time. And that I found that really, um, that's an example of of an individual doing what might be considered a relatively small thing. But it's, it's like an action, like the yeast, which is small, but it's permeating goodness. It's spreading goodness, spreading love, spreading yeah. kindness. Yeah, it was really, uh, yeah, really impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I've seen that too in, in many ways. And sometimes the acts maybe are small, but we hardly, they come and they go, but they're contributing to the overall good of God's work in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just recently, Sherry was sick with COVID yep. and... Um, when people found out about that, different people would call and encourage, be encouraging, saying yeah. they're praying. And one of the ladies from our life group, she brought over a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables and food and 
baking and That's blessed so nice. us. Um, mm-hmm. And those things are so sweet. And I think God is calling us to look for those little ways that we can make a difference in the world by sharing his love just right where we are in the context where we live or work or go to school. Mm -hmm. that we can through the words that we say or if it's a message we send by text or um, just little actions that Mm -hmm. we can we can spread that goodness which is like the leaven that's filling the world and making it better and lighter and more tasty yes (laughs) definitely more tasty That's wonderful. Did you have a second point or was that the second point? That was the second point. The first point is the idea of saying God's kingdom starts small and it ends big. So this parable just gives us a bit of a picture, a bit Mm -hmm. of an insight into what God's kingdom is, what's happening. It started small with Jesus and it's going to end big. It's growing like, like yeast makes bread rise. And then the other idea is saying is sometimes we think, well, how could something so small make much of a difference? And mm-hmm. we think that about ourselves. Well, we're just one little person. What can we do? But saying, do the little things that we can do right where we are. And that makes a big difference. And even in the Bible, I didn't get a chance to say this on Sunday, mm-hmm. but you think of all the little things that God used that made a big difference. And I don't have an exhaustive list, but I think of the, the little boy that had the little lunch with mm, the little fish and I the love, little loaves of bread. Love that And story. God fed 5,000 people. It's another bread story. Yes. And uh, so, you know, if we can offer the little that we have yep. to Jesus and just watch what he does with it. And um, we think as well in the stories in the Bible of the, the little the little rock that killed Goliath is kind of, there's a song that they sang at the end of the service. And there's a number of those things. If you haven't listened to it again, if you could on the YouTube, uh, the recording of the, the song that was sung at the end of the service on Sunday, it refers to a bunch of the little Mm -hmm. things in scripture that God and God uses to make a big impact. Mm -hmm. The song's called dream small. If you want to look it up on Spotify or, um, whatever music platform you use. Do you know the, who sang it originally? I don't. That's okay. No, so I'll have to look we that can up. We find it. Maybe we'll add it to our Spotify list so you can um, listen to it over there. We've got some great lists that you can tune into. But um, yeah, any closing thoughts, Pastor Trevor? I would just close encouraging everyone to be open to do the little things that God's calling them to do, knowing that as we all do those little things here and other Christians and other parts of the world, it all adds up to something big a big blessing thank you very much pastor trevor that was a good good encouraging way and a good way to wrap up the um the sermon series um and what are we looking forward to next do you want to recap our next series um it's at first john it's called redefining love and um i guess it's just a uh We often say, we often toss around the word love very casually. I love pizza. I love that shirt on you. I love my dog. And it's not really an accurate description. So No, we're going to get a fresh look at love from a new angle, going in at 1 John and seeing how Jesus' love can transform the way that we live and love others. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. If you'd like to get in touch with Pastor Trevor, you can reach him at trevor at waynefleetbic.com. And my email address is julie at waynefleetbic.com. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to connecting with you again next week. Have a great week. Bye for now. See, the woman who requested John the Baptist's head was named Salome. Salome? Salome?
sorry. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, you know, she, uh, we find that Josephus actually mentions her. Mm. We also have archaeological data that we have that has been discovered that coins printed by, by Pontius Pilate from 29 to 31 AD when he was governor of Judea. So this has been right around the time that, you know, Jesus would have been crucified. Yeah. He was around the age of 30. Um, and his family tomb was discovered in 1990. There are just two, those are just two of the many historical facts and artifacts that we begin to show that actually show the authenticity of the New Testament. That we, that we are constantly gathering facts and data to show people, places, and events that truly occurred during the time of Scripture. See, history actually helps us provide this physical evidence um, and understanding that Jesus truly existed. So a lot of people don't know this, but um, so the Roman emperor, Julius Caesar, was part of wars, obviously, when he was emperor. Mm -hmm. Now, there's three wars in particular that history dates that he wrote about personally. And history says those are factual proof. There is nothing wrong with those at all. Mm -hmm. There's less than 10 copies in the world that support that. Wow. But we view it as just pure true. You yeah. can look at Hannibal. Do, do you guys know the story of Hannibal? No. Mm-mm. So Hannibal was a Corinthian general. He wasn't really Corinthian. He was kind of like a mercenary. He went around and fought, but he hated Rome. Mm-hmm. And it is said that he took his soldiers from Corinth. No. Corinth. I might be saying this wrong, but Corinth, he, which is on the top of Africa, mm-hmm. right at the top of the Mediterranean Sea. He took it around to where Spain and Africa meet, around there, through the Alps, down into Italy, with elephants, soldiers, infantry, everything. And we view that as historical proof because we have, more do- we have l- less documents written. What I'm trying to say is, when we talk about you know, emperors and wars and all these other things, we're like, oh yeah, history right there. It's provable, you know, mm-hmm. So what if only a few people wrote on it? Mm. It's, so it's why true. are why are we skeptical of Jesus? Because it's faith. Yeah. Because there's general faith you need to have in Jesus. Well, and, people, and you can believe you can read a text and be like, "Oh, this guy named Jesus really existed." But it's another thing to then also believe that he did the things that he did. Did miracles and was the son of God and came here to save the world. Yeah, and I feel like people sometimes forget, you know. Something about religion is this thing called faith. Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about faith all that, all that much. This idea that, you know, to believe in something you cannot see, that you mm-hmm. cannot feel, that you cannot touch. To actually believe in something. You know, we talk about you know, our religion, being Christian, and all these things. But when we go into the world and we talk about, you know, why you should believe and all these other things, we forget to talk about the faith aspect. Mm-hmm. That it takes just general belief to say yeah this happened Mm -hmm. i don't i can't tell you the physical proof that i have that all the stuff happened in scripture but i believe that it did i have faith that it did Mm -hmm. there's historical stuff out there that will help support me but it takes just an actual breath to say i believe this Mm -hmm. and you know we also see this you know when we're talking about more historical stuff you know so we were talking about you know how the gospels show the life of Jesus, and you know, there's four different biographies. They're all written at different times, and when some of the others use, use some of the authors use others' account of Jesus' life, um, 
these were just used as a reference point. It's not saying, oh, I'm going to take all his words. I'll paraphrase it a little bit. I'm just going to go with that. But no, they said, oh, yes, I remember when that happened. Let me yeah. go into what I remember. It's not like we're just taking it, copy, paste, go with it. It's not what we're doing. No, they all have tiny little nuances that are different. Exactly. And, like, um, and partly, too, that goes, like, if you were, if you and I had a similar experience, like, if mm-hmm. you and I were both to recap staff meeting that we had. Probably remember or, it much differently. Or the service from Sunday, I might be like, oh, my gosh, do you remember when this happened? And we talked at length about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And you may yeah. be like, oh, yeah, we talked about that. But what we really talked about was, yeah. like, it just stands out There's to you differently. Things. Like, look at the book of John. There's so many nuances of personal touch in there, you know, talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the disciple Jesus loved the most. Yeah. Or how John was the first to the tomb. Yep. Outran everybody else that was going and just like the, all these personal things inside there. And I, all these people wrote these personal stories of, you know, being of Jesus, um, what Jesus did, how he lived. And of all these gospels, none of them contradict each other. Mm-hmm. But they help bring the full story of, you know, what happened at different points in the life of Jesus. And one of those examples in the story is when Jesus was arrested. And we're going to start with, uh, you know, John's account of the story and read, um, you know, that account. And then read what the accounts of the other three Gospels. So I'm going to pass over to Karis again. Okay. John 18, verse 1 to 11. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one they wa- you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his, his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Malchus, sorry. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Yeah, thank you. So, you know, John gives a representation um, of the portrayal of Jesus. And, you know, I think this gives us an understanding of what's kind of happening here. And there's a lot going on. At least. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're going to read through the other accounts. And um, you're going to hear more from Karis just reading through, you know, the book of Matthew and then the book of Mark and then the book of Luke, just in all these different accounts. Um, but, yeah, I think to kind of get a picture of the full story, we need to keep going. So I'm going to pass over to her again and just, you know, read Matthew now. Okay, this is Matthew 26, verse 47 to 56. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he explained and gave him the kiss. 
Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus said. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So you see, there's a difference between Matthew and John's narrative of the story. You know, actually, Judas and Jesus actually have a lot more dialogue through this. Mm-hmm. We kind of get a little more picture building, I think, with this. And, you know, Matthew's version is longer. And, you know, he didn't um, say it was Peter who cut off the servant's ear. You know, we learned that through John. Or we also don't get, don't get the point that, you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Now, there's different points and personal touches in each and every one of these, and that's where we're going to jump into Mark next. Okay, Mark 14, verse 43 to 52. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had, been, had given them a signal, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to rest when I greet them with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. One of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day, but these things are happen, happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all, this, all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Awkward. So, there are a lot of... Awkward. <laughs> there are... You know, there are differences that we start to see when we put these all together. You know, there's a book, um, it's called The Synoptic Gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Pastor Renee here has it. And, you know, it takes every passage of scripture that line up together in a chronological order. Ah, so cool. if you actually look at it, you can read through all these stories exactly at the same time, kind of looking through each individual one. And it's yeah. actually really fascinating to be able to do that. And, you know, we can see, start to see more and more differences. And the difference that I find that we really see in Mark is, you know, he also he left the story with a cliffhanger that you never really find out if the guy ended up finding new clothes. Yeah. You know, does he? I hope he did. Maybe one day we'll find out what I happened really to him. You know, there's did. a lot of difference, you know, <laughs> through it as it pertains to Jesus in the story. Um, and yeah, so we're going to look at Luke now. Mm-hmm. Luke is always my favorite. Really? Yeah, I always like hearing Luke. Hmm. Luke 22, verse 47 to 53. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, 
Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I, a Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So in Luke's account, we actually have the only part of this account that actually says that Jesus healed the servant's ear after mm -hmm. Peter cut it off. I wonder why the other three left that out. I don't know. And I think there's all, this is why we have all this different personal touch to show different yeah. examples and points of Jesus' life. And, you know, these four guys, you know, wrote this and they wanted us to be able to connect with what's going on. And, you know, as we try and go through the story and find out the whole story of what happened in this situation by getting multiple witnesses, the gospel accounts are eyewitness accounts, um, mm -hmm. you know, to Jesus. And, you know, more stories of Jesus' life have, um, you know, gaps that are filled through um, other accounts from one of the other gospels. You know, there's certain things that in Matthew you read and you're like, oh, I wonder what that means. And you read Luke and it's like, oh. I understand that now, and yeah. I think that's why the synoptic gospel is a really cool thing to have, especially when you're studying the uh, mm -hmm. word, because it's just it's so helpful. Like any t any kind of writing you do for a sermon or planning or anything, I pull that out and I'm just like, got it. Like just yeah. just have it, and you know the gospel stories help us see that you know Jesus was this real guy by not being contradictory and by helping us to see the full details from the life of Jesus. So we read, you know reading scripture we look at history we look at all these different things that show sorry we read in scripture and we read in history you know all these different things that you know if you were to go out in our world today and you were to actually talk to people and ask you know was jesus a real person how many people on the street of hamilton would you say oh yeah jesus was a real person do you think generally i have no idea okay better question then in your social work class oh gosh <laughs> if you were to ask you know was jesus a real person Take away miracles and everything like that. Is Jesus a real person? I they but they would probably say they would either say no at all or they would say yes, but he wasn't like the son of God. Hmm, okay. Or like he existed historically as a person, but maybe just not. Hmm, it's interesting. I find people like in society today are kind of afraid to take a firm stance on a lot of things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to offend someone. Like if I, if you asked, you know, me that question, I said hundred percent. Yeah. Jesus was God's son. He was fully human, fully God. And he lived on earth. Mm -hmm. Like someone else might find that super offensive, offensive. And you know, want to argue with me. So I think to avoid, well, yeah, we don't, we yeah, don't like arguments. We don't want that. We don't want confrontation. Yeah. No. I feel like the people in social work would probably maybe just say maybe because you don't want a confrontation either. Yeah. So, yeah. I just know, I find our world today, we forget that people were people in scripture. Mm -hmm. Jesus was a person. The fact that we can, you know, look back and say, Jesus cried. Jesus wept. He mm -hmm. was sad. He was joyful. He was happy. He was sad. He had anxiety. He, he was angry. He was angry. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever talked in front of people like, up on a stage or in a crowd or anything there's a lot of pressure <laughs> to not stumble on your words and to yes. not do this 
and that he would have felt all of that pressure that he would have you know been discouraged that he would have that he wrestled with things mm-hmm. he was a kid he you know went through life you no know, trying to obey his parents the best that he could but let's be honest no kid obeys their parents well and, <laughs> you know we talk about jesus living a sinless life yes he did he also experienced you know the temptation mm-hmm. the struggles that humans have i think that you know, as Christians, we say Jesus, of course, was a real person. And I think we need to start living that out more to say that he was a real person. And maybe you're asking, well, what does this have to do with why should I believe? And that goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning of this podcast was, you know, if we don't believe that Jesus was a real person, if we say, nah, I don't think so, you know, it's just our myth, but he's part of Christianity. If we believe that, that throws away everything mm-hmm. that we stand for, that we stand on today. But if we choose to say Jesus was a real person, he was someone who lived, who breathed, who laughed, who cried, who walked, just as we did, I think we can start to realize that there's a special relationship we have with God in that. There's nothing else out there that says, that, you know, any other faith out there that would be like, oh, this, the, your deity of whoever it is understands mm-hmm. you truly, mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally, the struggles that we go through. But Jesus does understand us he does he felt what's in all of our hearts that we would struggle that we would have that human nature to want to pull away from god and i think that we forget that sometimes like jesus felt all those internal things every single one that we feel Mm -hmm. and you know he he rose above it which is just you know that's the god within him that you know rose above that and was the son of god and really proved that you know through his life so what i'm really trying to get at for us to why should i believe is because the relationship we can have with god the relationship we can have with jesus is something that will be the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life Mm -hmm. and that you know if you have questions about it and you're really wondering like you know I want to know more about if Jesus was a real person. Do the research yourself because you will be blown away by how much stuff is out there. Yeah. And, you know, you may be like, well, it's going to take a long time to find that research. No, we have the power of Google. Um, <laughs> I think you're going to say God. <laughs> the power of Google to, you know, internet that too. shows so much of this information. Yep. And I just, I really pray that, you know, anyone listening to this can really see that Jesus was this real person who was part of our world and was human Mm -hmm. awesome thank you pastor wes that was uh yeah it was a great message and thank you karis for being here thanks for having me yeah we uh we appreciate all you've done this summer and your input today on our podcast thank you Um, so if you have any questions and would like to talk to pastor wes if you want him to point you in the direction of some of this um documents or research he'd love to hear from you you can reach him at west at wingfleetbic.com and if you'd like to get in touch with karis with any um just words of encouragement as she heads back to school you can email her at karis at wingfleetbic.com no nope don't email her there email her at karisourhand at gmail.com try that one instead (laughs) and my email address is julie at wingfleetbic.com So thank you for tuning in and we look forward to connecting with you again next week. Have a great week. Bye.